Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. I want to introduce you to a character today that you're probably pretty familiar with, but hopefully we can shed some new light on, uh, on, on what this guy's all about. Uh, Solomon in Proverbs loves to call him, his favorite name for him is the sluggard. So you probably know who this is. He says in, in Proverbs 24, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber, and your want like an armed man. And all throughout Proverbs, uh, the, the sluggard is making excuses to, to get out of work. He says, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. Some of the ways the sluggard is described is even a little over the top and humorous. Uh, he says, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on its bed. It's as if his, his mobility is completely limited. And the biggest choice he's going to make through the day is, am I going to lay on my right side or am I going to lay on my left side? Uh, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's weary of bringing it to his mouth again. He has cravings, but he can't finish what he starts. And I'd be willing to bet that there's very few of us in here who would consider ourselves slothful. We're just too busy. I mean, most of us would not consider ourselves slothful at all. And there's some of you, though, you know you are. There's no hiding it. There's no getting around it. you're, you're You're the sloth on the Geico commercial that just tries to get his hand across the screen for 30 seconds and you're waiting for him to finish. But I think for the most part, uh, we would consider ourselves pretty hard workers. And I'd say that's true. I'd say that's, that's pretty fair about the people that I know in the room. Uh, but the sloth is not just lazy. He's pursuing the wrong things. Proverbs 12, 11 says, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. See, sloth is not just laziness. Okay, the, it's an aversion to, uh, it's a rejection of our purpose and design. It's this desire for weightlessness, to cast off responsibility and restraint. The sloth doesn't want to be tied down to anything or anyone he wants complete autonomy. And I think even though we're, we're, we're pretty hard workers in this room, I think that we can be slothful uh, oftentimes in, in, in different ways. You know, we, we, we can be slothful toward the things that kindle our relationship with God, Bible study and prayer and fasting. Uh, how many of us have started a, a Bible reading plan trying to get through the Bible in a year and we just kind of, you know, peter out after a few months? It's, it's tough to stay in that stuff. We can be slothful sometimes in our relationships, Um, not wanting anyone to tell us how to live our lives, not wanting to be bound to anyone else. I think that's that's some reason some people never take the plunge and come over and and join the church and become a partner with the church is because they don't want anybody telling them, uh, you know, speaking too directly into their lives. It's also why some people never join groups here. They never get part of a life group or a men's group or a women's group or whatever group because they, they don't want to get too close. They don't want somebody having uh, say in the way that they're living. 
But this slothfulness can even lead to a frenzy of busyness. A workaholic life, attempting to fill our lives with things other than God and what he has for us. See, sloth is a collapse into the self. It's an implosion of self-love. It sees the world and its creator as repugnant instead of captivating and beautiful. So I, I think we're going to identify with a sluggard a little more than, than we may expect, and, and I don't think the solution is really what any of us expect. It wasn't what I expected when I set out to, to do this this week. Um, because what, you typically, what do you typically tell a sluggard? Get up and do something. That's what you typically tell the sluggard. Get up and, and, and do something. We fight slothfulness with busyness, don't we? We're all disciplined in, in certain areas. You know, our, our kids' sports and education. Um, we pay our bills on time. We get our taxes done. We work hard and we get promoted. But even in this frenzy of busyness, it can sometimes be a facade to escape anybody having any, real, any say or claim over our lives. It can mask the fact that we're walking through life completely detached from meaning and purpose. I tried to, to draw this to, to give a little bit of a visual today, and we'll come back to it again and again this week, or this, this talk today. Uh, but I wanted to give us a little bit of a, of a visual to try and see. We know that there's some sort of diligence and Sabbath. There's some kind of healthy cycle here that we're supposed to be in with diligence and Sabbath. And yet, the sloth over here, whenever you're trying to fight sloth, we typically fight it with busyness. We typically fight sloth by getting up and doing something. But when we, when we get up and just do something, the heart of the sloth hasn't changed. The heart of the sloth is still the same. The sloth is still wanting to cast everything off. And so when you get in this frenzy of busyness, you're going to crash again. It's like what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. He says, vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless. What is new under the sun? What does man get from all our labors? We're going and going and spinning our wheels for what? We, f- we typically fight sloth with busyness, and we just go round and around and around in the wrong cycle, rushing and resting. This rush and this relaxation this, this go, 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 and this crash. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like, uh, like you're just spinning your wheels? Like Sisyphus. You know the myth of Sisyphus where, where uh, it's, he's, he's rolling the stone up the hill. He's doomed to roll it up the hill for eternity because it just comes right back down and he just rolls it back up again. We just feel like we're spinning our wheels sometimes, but that's not the way that it was meant to be. If you go to Genesis, God just created the heavens and the earth, okay? He's he's created the heavens and the earth, and look what he tells man after he fashions them out of the dirt. He said, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves over the earth. He's telling him to, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule it, take dominion. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to what? Cultivate and keep it. 
He just gives them a good old-fashioned blue-collar gardening job. How awesome is that? God fashions the heavens and the earth. He gets down into the dirt and, and fashions man out of the dirt. God's not afraid of work. He puts him in the garden and says, rule, take it. Cultivate and keep it. Do good work. And when, when God comes in the flesh, when Jesus comes, he, he's a carpenter. God's not afraid of work. This is, this is an eternal reality. This is something that it's, it's not a curse. Work, is, work itself is not a curse. It's not a necessary evil. I know it feels that way sometimes. It, it, it can be tough. But work is not a necessary evil. God's original design for us, he's bringing us into the work that he's doing. We're made for a design and an intention and a purpose and sloth is a rejection of that purpose. So how do you know what good work is? I think there's two really good marks to, to find out if, if your work is good. One, it's a response to God's calling in your life, what he's, what he's made you for, what he's, the, the purpose he's called you to. It's just a response to his calling. And two, it's, it's a response to the needs of the community. So a good test to see if your work is good is to say, does this benefit anybody but me? Does this benefit anyone but myself? Am I just concerned with the bottom line? Am I just concerned with doing things, working for the weekend, working for the vacation, working for the lake house? Am I just concerned with work as a necessary evil to attain my own ends? Or is it benefiting somebody else? And so... Beautiful thing here. All jobs, all jobs are good aside from the obvious bad ones. Talking to the drug dealers in the room. If you're a drug dealer, stop it. I know it's a terrible demographic in Keller. There's no class structure here. There's no no class structure uh, between blue collar and white collar. There's no more dignity in digging a ditch than there is in, in translating the Bible to, to an unreached people group. There's no more or less dignity in one over the other. God made the heavens and the earth, got down in the dirt, fashioned man, made him a gardener. Jesus came as a, as a carpenter, not a philosopher or a general. This means, this is, this is incredible, this means that, that even the most mundane, menial work is good. The most tedious task you have to do is good. My generation is really consumed with talking about work-life balance. If you read any kind of productivity blog or anything else, my generation loves talking about work-life balance. Uh, it's, it's, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that technology has crept in so much that we can work anywhere we want. We can check emails anywhere we want. Our office can be anywhere we want it to be. And so we, we can work anywhere. And so people are concerned about work-life balance, that we have to put boundaries around our work to make sure it doesn't creep too far into our lives, as if they are mutually exclusive. But even the secular 
people that are talking about this are starting to realize it's a pipe dream. It's a pipe dream to, to try and talk about work-life balance as if they're completely separate. Even the secular people are starting to talk about work-life integration. They're starting to realize you have to have meaning and purpose in both. You can't separate the two. You can't just work and then, and then go play. They're integrated in some really unique way. And so this cycle is not just for now. This cycle over here, this diligence, this diligent work and rest is an eternal reality. This is something that God designed in us. He himself is not afraid of work and he's designed us for this, for this diligent work and rest. We, we don't teach here that eternity is just an eternal rest, that it's just a cessation from work. It's not just eternal rest, it's an eternal life. And not just an eternal life in the future, but an eternal living now. It's dynamic. We're being brought into the work that God is doing. becoming. He's, he's called us to co-labor with him. How incredible is that? That we're called to be co-laborers with him. It's a dynamic reality. And it's not just for now, it's for the future. What happened? We tried to free ourselves from the responsibility of the garden. To usurp God's position over us. It wasn't enough that he's called us to reign and to rule and to, and to work and be a part of this thing. We wanted to rule ourselves. And so work has become laborious and stressful. We're caught up in the busyness of it all and we just want to be free from it. And so in Genesis 3 uh, is, is where, where you see the curse after the fall of man. Uh, then, then to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. Remember the thorns. We're going to come back to that later. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Work has become very difficult now, and so we reject it. We hate the world and its responsibilities. We hate the claim it has on our lives, and so we reject our design and our purpose and try to create our own. And so the results of this are that work is hard. You see it not just in the thorns and the thistles, in the environmental part that Genesis is talking about, but you see it in, in, in your teams. <laughs> you, know, you get a great team together, and your, your company's moving and, and, and just going. It's the best team you ever had, and then somebody has to leave and goes to work for another company. Stuff breaks People are competitive. Work is hard. And now work is, is marked by grumbling, by heavy sighing. It's like, a, it's like a badge for us. We wear it as a badge because we want to say, I matter. I'm worth my salt. I'm here for a reason. It's like the guy at the gym, you know, you've always got the guy at the gym that always sounds like some coyote is dying somewhere. 
I think part of, I think part of that, that you know, the, those people actually think that it's helping them maybe, but I think part of it is they just want people to know they're working out. I think that's a little piece of it. And I think that's kind of where we fall into with this, with, we wear our busyness as a badge. And the fact is we all are busy. This is what, this is, this is the, the culture that we live in. But it's marked by grumbling and heavy sighing now. Uh, boredom is another huge result. Of, of this rejection of our design. And we spend so much time trying to fill it. Um, consuming Netflix. You ever been in a show hole? You know what a show hole is? I know the younger crowd over here would know what a show hole is. A show hole is where you get so consumed with the, with the show that you're watching. You're so wrapped up in these characters and you're so excited about it and you're just binge watching it all the time and you're telling everybody about it and then your show's done and what do you do? You go, what am I gonna do with my life? That's a show hole. We consume Netflix. We consume social media. We pull out our phones to check it, and we just stare at the screen. We're not even, we're, we're not even doing anything. Or, you, or your finger just compulsively goes to whatever app you open normally. Why do we do this? Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. We crave and we get nothing. We struggle to find this beauty in the world. We're not captivated by anything. Our hearts aren't gripped by a purpose. We don't just get bored because we have nothing to do. We get bored because we don't know what we're meant to do. We don't know what we're meant to do, and we're offended by any solution that would limit our options. Freedom becomes for us absolute. R.J. Snell says, our new freedom, this freedom from dwelling in the density of our being, is a prison. He says it's a prison of freedom. Flattened and unhooked from reality, our lives can seem arbitrary and insignificant and only an increasingly shrill insistence of our own significance remains. I'm here. I matter. An insistence, he says, bearing no weight. This weightlessness, this unbearable lightness of being results in the torpor of meaninglessness, the spiritually enervating results of a life considered not worth having or living. We live in a world that's bored with life. Colors have grown dull, meaning has faded. We it's become uncool to get too excited about anything. Here's the real the real issue with boredom, okay? Boredom declares that God was wrong when he said when he saw the goodness of of the world. Boredom says that, God, no, you're wrong. It's not that captivating after all. That's what boredom does. Sluggard is disenchanted, no longer gripped by anything. And there's ways that that we as Christians fall into this trap. We're we're sluggish when it comes to evangelism, aren't we? I'm talking to myself. We're sluggish when it comes to evangelism. I mean, 
we, we see some people as unreachable. We don't trust the Spirit to work through us in their lives. Look what, look what Paul says he does with his freedom. 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Though I am free from all men, I've made myself what? A slave. I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. Paul doesn't take his freedom and say, you know, I just, I. Paul limits himself for the sake of others. Paul limits his own freedom. Just, just before that, you know, okay, so we're, we're sluggish sometimes in service to others. Paul says right before this in, in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, he's talking about, you know, the Jews used to not be able to eat a lot of certain things. And now Jesus came in and said, these things are clean. You can, you can eat these things, okay? Well, the people that were in the old way of doing things, they, they were still offended by it. They still felt like it wasn't something they should do. And Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 8, we're free to do this, but guess what? I'm not going to do it around you. I'm going to limit myself because I don't want you to stumble. How different, how foreign is that to us? How foreign is it for us, especially, I mean, how apropos is this being the weekend before 4th of July when we're focused completely on our freedoms that we love, they're, they're incredible, but we're so focused on our freedoms and our, and our interactions with each other. You don't deserve, I don't deserve to be talked to like that. You can't say that to me. I deserve to be treated better than that. How often do we, do we look at our own freedoms, our own rights, before we look at anybody else? Paul says he limits himself for the sake of others. Parenting, we can be sluggish. In, listen, parenting is hard. But I know so many people who want a relationship with their kid. And they come home and they're worn out. They're worn out from this, this endless cycle. They don't know how to get out of it. And they plop down on the couch with a beverage and just veg. And their kids are wanting their attention. And it's so hard. It's so hard. But we can be sluggish there. We can be sluggish in our, in our marriages. The kids come along, you stop pursuing your wife. Or you start to realize that they know a little too much about you. (laughs) That's why divorce is so rampant. We don't want anybody having that much of a claim on our lives, having that much say, being able to see us that deeply. Let me go back to this. If you think sloth is just laziness, then you're going to assume the solution is hard work. And instead of curing the slothfulness, you spiral further into this cycle of rushing and crashing, busyness and sloth, finding things to fill our time that will give us meaning and weight only to dive headfirst into burnout again. The solution to sloth is not hard work or busyness because the sluggard is not just lazy. He's lost. And he's lost all meaning, all sense of, of purpose in his life. 
He's lost all sense of what it truly is to wonder at the beauty of God and his creation. He's rejected it. It's too weighty for him. It requires too much of him. So he throws it off and chooses weightlessness. How often do you just desire this? You just desire to just cast it off. I know I do. I just want to be light. I just want to just take the load off sometimes. You feel the pressure of the responsibilities bearing down on you, deadlines coming up, the stress of performing, the feeling you've got too many plates in the air and knowing that one or all of them are going to fall. And in the middle of it all, your kids need your attention. Your parents get sick and need your help. Your, Your spouse isn't giving you everything you think that you need. And you either want to bury your head in the sand or throw up your hands and say, I'm done. You just want to be weightless, untethered. You go to the bathroom and lock the door because for at least a few minutes you don't want anyone expecting anything of you. And then some pastor tells you to add a quiet time on top of it all. And you want to tell that pastor exactly what he can do with his quiet time. Because you're burnt out. You're done. You get to the bottom of that cycle and you start throwing stuff off. I got to get rid of this and this and this and this. And after a while, after it's all gone, you start looking for meaning again. You start trying to fill your life with purpose and the cycle just perpetuates. It just keeps going. (laughs) You start masking it with more things to do, more busyness, more consumption. You're trapped. So see... Sloth is not just laziness. It's a rejection of your purpose and your design. It's a desire to be weightless, a a lack of wonder at God's glory, a a desperate search for complete individual autonomy. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. So let me say again, the solution to sloth is not just hard work. We've, we've We've got to move into an entirely different system here. And you can't do that on your own. I can't do that on my own. We need a savior to get out of this cycle because we can't do it. Now, I told you before, I don't think the solution is something that we would typically expect. You see a sluggard, you crack the whip and you say, get up and do something. And sometimes the sluggard needs to have a foot in his behind. Sometimes the sluggard needs that. But that is always religion's go-to. That is always what religion says, is get up and do something. That's always religion's answer to the sloth, to the sluggard. Get up and do something. What if I told you that the solution to sloth was Sabbath? And I know how ridiculous that sounds. I know. I struggled with it this week. I know how ridiculous this sounds. You're going to tell this guy who's a slug on the puddle on the floor that his real solution, the lasting solution, is to rest? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. But look, we typically, we talked about this, we fight sloth with busyness. We fight sloth by finding something to do, but no one's 100 no one is slothful 100% of the time. You might think your teenage kid is, 
but nobody's slothful 100% of the time. It doesn't happen. Eventually, the sloth realizes he's got no meaning and purpose in his life, and so he starts trying to fill it with something, and the cycle is perpetuated again. But even us as Christians, look what we do. Even the ones who have found Christ and are, are being brought into the things that, that Jesus has for us, we're, we're, we're stepped into the, the work that he's, that he's doing. We've become co-laborers with him. Even, even with Christians, it is, maybe especially with Christians, I don't know. We have a hard time resting. I have a hard time resting. And so what do we do? We, we, try, we try to bridge both. We try and go over here and... and when we're done doing the really good stuff that we know that we need to do, we go over here and add more busyness into it. Add more things to fill our time and our life. And you get burnout still. You get burnout there too. So saying, saying the solution to sloth is Sabbath sounds really foolish until you hear it from Jesus' mouth. Jesus is talking to here in, in, to these people in Matthew 11. He's talking to a people who are beat down by religious people who are telling them, get up and do something. Get up and do something. They're being beat down. They're worn down. They're tired. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. You know, the first thing that he says here is rest. The first answer here is rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. This yoke is a picture of, of you know, you'd put the yoke on the animal and, and they would plow with it. This is a picture of work. He's, he's telling these people that there is work to do. There is something that's going on here. There is a working aspect. But he's, he says first, come to me. I will give you rest. And when you come to me, you take on this yoke. But it's, it's not, look, he says, I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. You're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' first answer is rest. He says, take this on. I'm humble and gentle. I'm not going to bear you down like these guys. I'm not going to force you into the ground and tell you to just go, 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 do, do, do. He says, rest in me. Rest. Take on my yoke. Learn from me. Become my disciple. Take on the purpose and the design for which you were made. This is beautiful. I can show you this in, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. You know this verse. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of what? Works. It's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Now he's saying it's not a result of works, but look at the very next verse. For we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are the results of his labor. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works.
It's not by good works. It's not as a result of the good works. He's saying, come and rest. This is a free gift. I'm giving it to you. Come take on my yoke. Take on my way of life. Take on my purpose and design for you. And you're going to find fulfillment. You're going to find rest. You're going to get out of that cycle. When Ephesians 2 becomes real to you, when, you when, it, when it's real in your bones, you got nothing to prove. You got nothing left to prove. What would it look like in your workplace and in your life if you had nothing left to prove to anybody? We're not working to become his workmanship. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are the result of his labor. What would it look like in your workplace if you had nothing to prove? You wouldn't have to be the idea guy. Somebody's got a good idea. Maybe everybody has the good idea. You don't got to be the one that takes credit for it. You don't got to be the one that gets the glory. We're all moving in the same direction. You don't have anything left to prove if this becomes real. Because my reward is the joy of my master, the one who has created me. So the solution to sloth is Sabbath. It's resting in Christ. Taking on his yoke, submitting to his call for our lives. You see that this is a different kind of rest. This is not sluggard when he rests. It's just stripping it off. He's stripping it off. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. He's rejecting it all. That's the way the sluggard rests. But the rest that Jesus is calling us into is a participation. It's a, what Hebrews 4.11 says to be diligent to enter the rest. There's a participation in this kind of rest. In this kind of rest, you're, you're, if boredom was if, if boredom is, is saying that God is wrong when he declared that everything was good, that's boredom. Proper rest, proper Sabbath is a participation and an affirmation that what you made is good, that you are good, that your creation is good, that the work that you've done is good. completely different kind of rest. And we're going to celebrate it this morning. The, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass out communion. We're going to take communion today. I told you we'd come back to the thorns. You know, in Genesis 3, in Genesis 3, the, uh, the curse comes, right? The, it, work becomes hard for us. It, it produces thorns and thistles, and in, in Proverbs 15, it says that the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns. It's blocked. You can't get out of this cycle on your own. It's blocked. But thankfully, Galatians 3.13 says this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. 
He took on the curse. When, when the, in the Gospels, after he's whipped and beaten, the soldiers drive this crown of thorns into his head, not even realizing that they were driving in something that symbolized the very reason that he was there because he was taking on our curse. They literally crowned him with it. And that verse that we talked about in, in Proverbs where the, where the sluggard, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and he can't even bring it to his mouth. It'd be hilarious if it wasn't so sad and so true because there's people in here right now who are, you've got your hand in the dish. You're in church. You're around the things of God. You've experienced them in some way and you crave it. You crave what's in that dish. You crave to be nourished by it. But you can't even bring your hand to your mouth. Not because, I mean, how easy is that? It's not because you're lazy. It's because you don't want you don't want to take it on. You don't want to be controlled. You don't want to give in, to be limited by his purpose and, your, and design for your life. So there's people in here, and you need, you need to get your hand out of the dish. You got to make a choice. You can't be benefited by the food by keeping your hand in the dish. It doesn't happen. And for the Christians in here, this is, this is the climax of our week. This is the, the participation. This is the rest that we're talking about that gives meaning to time itself. That gives meaning to the, the time, the regular time of our week. This is, this is part of Sabbath. It's a participation. It's a celebration. It's an affirmation with God that you are good. What you made is good. And I'm just overwhelmed and joyous that I get to be brought into it. Would you stand with me? We'll take this together. God, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity to celebrate. God, this opportunity to, uh, to look so intently at what you've done for us and the, and the fact that you are the one that breaks that cycle, that you are the one who gives us rest, that, that we are the result of your labor. God, thank you that we are the result of your labor and so we can rest in the middle of all the busyness, God, teach us how to rest. Teach us what that looks like in our own circumstances, our own situations. And as we rest in you, God, teach us how to take on your yoke, how to, how to move into the good work that you have for us, that you've prepared for us. Thank you, God, that, that we get to co-labor with you but that it's not dependent on us. God, we love you so much. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
thank you for coming this week. Uh, we're excited about, about this summer and, and some of the things that, um, that are going to be shared this summer. Um, we're actually going to talk about rest next week. We're going to talk about exactly what that looks like. How in the world can we carve it out of our schedule? What does that look like in this culture? What does it look like to diligently enter rest? But for this week, seek it out. Ask God where, where you can find those pockets of time. And stay under the yoke. Thank you for coming. Have a good week. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.